Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. The scripture out of Genesis 12 this morning, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land of the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, "'To your offspring I will give this land.'" So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. This is the word of the Lord. Um, my sermon today uh, starts a new section, as Lucius said, in the book of Genesis, uh, and we see that God is the God of promise, and it's about the life of Abraham, and my sermon today will be in three parts. Part number one will be a bit of an introduction to Genesis um, and the chapters surrounding Abraham, just a quick introduction. Uh, part two will be an exposition of the verses. We'll go through them line by line, verse by verse, to see what they say. And then finally, a bit of an application for us today who live thousands of years later. How is it relevant? How do we understand it for us? Is it just a Bible story, or is there more to it? So with that, let's, uh, let's pray Please pray with me. I feel a little nervous this morning, um, so let's just pray the Lord would, would just have his way with me and uh, that God would uh, his, be glorified by it. So let's pray. Uh, Father God, help me this morning. Calm my nerves. Help me to speak clearly. Help me to speak words that glorify you. Help me to uh, speak according to what the text says. Father, I pray for the people here that your spirit would, would, would bring these verses to their heart, that they would see this, maybe this morning in a new way, and that they would be changed by it. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would work. I pray that each of us would hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I ask in the name of Jesus, amen. So a new section. It, uh, it covers about 11 chapters total, chapters 12 through 22. This is the story of Abraham. 
Now, it does begin a little bit in 11, and we're going to look at that today, and it does carry through a little bit into 23 and 24, but really, scholars say the meat of it is 12 through 22, and it begins with the call of Abram, right? We all know this. Dave read the verses for us. We know he was called, and he was told to leave everything behind, wasn't he, right? So he was asked by God to sacrifice his, his place, his land, his, his family, his father's house. He was asked to sacrifice his past. And then in chapter 22, at the end of all this, we have the culmination of the story of Abraham, and he's asked to sacrifice his son. God is asking him to sacrifice his future. And when we read Genesis 22, we often read it out of context, and it's jarring to us, and it should be. We see it, and it's like, how on earth did Abraham get to this place? Well, it's all the intervening chapters that leads us there. In fact, what we see over these 11 chapters is God speaks to Abraham eight times, eight specific times. And if you want to do something that's kind of fun, well, to me it's fun, and and you know how I am, um, go through, read through 12 through 22, and make a little check mark in your Bible of the eight times. See if you can find the eight times that God speaks. And so when it finally gets to the culmination where God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, and take him to the, to the mountain and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering to me, you'll see that it's based on many years and many conversations. The relationship builds. And so at the beginning, God says, sacrifice your past. At the end says, will you sacrifice your future? Kind of interesting. And everything in between is the story of Abraham. Now, this section, I want to tell you, is broken up into two distinct parts. Part number one is chapters 12 through 15. And it focuses on the promise of land. Land. You've got to understand that. Let me point out a couple of things. If you have a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 12. And we'll see that um, Abraham goes into the land. As, As Dave read, he builds altars in the land. And then towards the middle of chapter 12, we're not going to get into that today, Abraham goes for the land and bad things happen. He goes into Egypt, there's a famine in the land, bad things happen, and Abraham treats his wife terribly. He goes into Egypt, he says, oh, she's beautiful, I'm going to lie about her to save my own skin, and he does. Bad. He goes from the land, bad things happen. And then uh, down in chapter 13, he, his nephew Lot, he and Lot get into contention, they get into strife. About what? About the land. It's about the land. 
and they have to they have to part company and lot not good with lot lot says i want to be heading to the east i want to be towards sodom and off he goes and then god appears at the end of chapter 13 And he says in verse 14, The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated, Lift up your eyes, look from the place you are, north, south, east, and west. For all the land that you see, I will give to you. It's about the land. Do you get it? The first part, 12 through 14, is about the land. Or 15, 12 through 15. And then we have in 14, we have this, this, uh, this battle to rescue Lot. Things with Lot are not good. And then in 15, we have God cutting a covenant with Abraham. And at the end of 15, verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, to your offspring, I give this land. So 12 through 15 is all about the land. You get it, right? Read through it, underline in your Bible how many times the word land is used. It changes in 16. It changes. It's a new subject. It's about his offspring. It's about his seed. 16 starts, now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. The rest of it's all about the seed. The first half is the land. The second half is the seed. It starts with, a, with Sarai not having a child. It ends where they're having a child. And then the sacrifice of Mount Moriah. 12 through 22. First half? Land. Come on now. First half? Second half? Seed. Offspring. Yeah, that's how it's broken up. And it's good to see these. These are patterns. This is how scripture is written. And when we recognize it, it helps us to understand what's happening and what the focus is. First half? Second half? Beautiful. Man, you guys are great. Okay, so now I want to, that's the overview. I want to get into um, the exposition. And to do that, I've got to move us back into uh, chapter 11 for a moment. Now, last week was Tower of Babel, and that ended in verse 9. After that comes the descendants of Shem. Shem was the son of Noah. So we had 10 generations from, from, uh, from Adam to Noah. Now we have 10 generations from Noah to Abraham. Very significant. 10 generations. And they're all listed out. Right? Boom, boom, boom. Somebody begat and all that. And we just read through it. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Ten generations. Now, verse 27. It's up on the screen. I want to focus on the first couple verses. Now, these are the generations of Terah. This is Abraham's father. Terah fathered Abram, Nohar, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. That's Abraham's nephew. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldees, the Chaldeans. This is where they were. This was their homeland. This was Babylon. Mesopotamia, the main city is Babylon. These guys were in another spot called Ur. 
So you immediately see a connection 10 generations before with the Tower of Babel. Now there's a connection there. Verse 29, and Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iskar. So, who were these people? They were idol worshipers. They worshipped the moon god. How do I know this? Two reasons. One, Ur was a center for moon god worship. The archaeologists have proven that. It was a center of worship for the moon god. And uh, the moon god's name was Suin, S-U-E-N, Suin. Ur was one of the two centers of worship for this god. The name Terra, if you look in the language of the Chaldeans, the root is moon. Sarai. If you look at the word in the original language, she was the wife of the moon god. Milka, she was the daughter of the moon god. Joshua 24.2 says, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, they served other gods. We talked a lot last week about naming. They were named after the gods. They came from an idol-worshipping region, an idol-worshipping city, and they were named after the moon god. That's who these people were. And God calls them out of their idolatry. Now we come to verse 30. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Notice that it says it twice. This is a Hebrew method for emphasis. And if you were living back in the days of Moses and you were sitting around a campfire at night and you were hearing this story, when it came to this, you would go, oh. Or you would go, oh. See, to be barren, to have no child in that day was the ultimate metaphor for hopelessness. She had no child. She was barren. And you would cringe when you heard that. Oh, no, the poor girl. What's going to happen? Verse 31, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Why did they stop in Haran? Do you remember that I said there were two centers for moon god worship? Guess what the second one was. The first was Ur, the second was Haran. They went to Haran. And Abraham's father 
never left it alive. He died there. Now let's get into chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. The Lord said to Abram, Go. Now I want to stop here for a second and acknowledge that if you read this story of Abraham from chapter 11 into 12 closely, if you follow it along and you're reading it and you're making notes, if you're studying it, a question will arise in your minds about what actually happened. It says here that the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, but in the previous chapter, it says Abram's father, terror, took Abram his son and Lot and all the others, and they went forth from Ur of the Chaldees towards Canaan. So you may say, well, wait a minute, is there a discrepancy here? Who got the call? When was the call? When did it happen? Anybody ever notice that, or am I the only weird one that sees that? Yeah, one guy, Jacob, has seen that before. How do we, how do we explain it? How do we understand it? What's, what's going on here? Who went and from where and who got the call? Well, let me just take a couple of minutes to explain it. A little bit further in, in, in chapter 12, verse 4, it says, So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So we see Abram went from Haran. It appears the call came to him there. But what about Ur of the Chaldees? And what about the father? How do we understand it? In chapter 15, verse 7, a little further on, I am, God says, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. It seems like the call went further back than just Haran. It seems like he was called way back in Ur of the Chaldees. So how do we understand it? If you turn to the book of Acts in chapter 7, we have Stephen's speech before the Sanhedrin. Uh, I think we have that up there. Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, basically when he was in Ur of the Chaldees, before he lived in Haran. So Stephen says the call happened in Ur of the Chaldees, just like God said in chapter 15, and said to him, go out from your land, from your kindred, go into the land, I will show you. A little further. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldees and lived in Haran. So now we see what happened. After his father died, God removed him from there to this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length but promised to give it to him as a possession 
to his offspring after him, though he had no child. So Stephen's inspired account said God called him from Ur of the Chaldees. He stopped at Haran. God brought him out from there and brought him into a land with a promise. And he didn't even gain a foot of it. That's the inspired understanding of what actually happened. So if you have been up for nights wondering, Jacob and maybe another person, me, that's what happened. So back in, uh, back in our chapter, we'll see that God called Abram when he was in Ur, before he lived in Haran, Abram went, and he went under the authority of his father. His father was still alive. Terah took Abram, so he went under the authority of his father. Terah stopped in Haran, and he never got out. He died there, worshiping his moon god, and once he was dead, Abram was free to go. And that solves one problem. This is how it happened. These are the details. But it brings up another problem. When we read in verse 1 of chapter 12, go from your country, go from your kindred, go from your father's house, Abram didn't go alone. He didn't quite obey that. And this is going to come to be a problem later. Just lay that out there. So, leave your land, leave your family, your father's house probably meant the father's gods to a land I will show you. This is unimaginable. Whole books have been written about the call of Abram and what he had to leave behind. Everything that mattered, everything that counted. His country, the land he lived in, his family. His kin, those that he loved and spent time with, and his father's house. Again, that probably meant the idols and the gods of fathers worshipped, but it also probably meant an inheritance. Leave every single thing behind and go. Go where? There's an interesting verse in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. As you know, my wife and I uh, travel in the spring. We take two months and we go out west. And I do all the driving, every mile of it. This past one, we went 9,058 miles. I drove every single mile. And Miss Annette is in the passenger seat. She's my navigator. It doesn't go well. <laughs> I'll say, which, which exit do I take up here? And she'll say, wait a minute. And she's on her phone trying to figure it out. And I'll glance over and I'll see that the map she has up is South Carolina, and we're in Arizona. <laughs> so when Abram went to a place he didn't know where he was going, 
that's kind of the metaphor for our trips out west. I don't know where we're going. I don't know if we're ever going to make it back. He didn't know where he was going. He had to leave everything. He didn't know where he was going. But we call this section the promises of God or the God of promise. I forget which one it is. And what we have in verses 2 and 3, do you remember a hundred years ago when we did Genesis chapter 1? It feels like a long time ago. Was it a hundred years? No, it was just a couple months ago. I talked about how God spoke the worlds and the cosmos into existence through his powerful word. And you remember, I said, when you read through Genesis 1 into the first part of 2, the seventh day, it says God spoke 10 times. Yeah? He spoke 10 times. God spoke 10 times. The Israelites to this day call that the 10 words. Now we come to these two verses. You know what the Israelites call these two verses? The sevenfold promise. The sevenfold promise. I'm going to take everything. You leave your past. You leave your family. You leave everything. You leave your house. You leave your internet provider. You've got to get a new provider. You leave everything. But I am going to give you a sevenfold promise. These two verses have seven distinct phrases. The sevenfold promise. This is precious. Number one, I will make of you a great nation. Sarai was barren. She had no child. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you. Number two. I will make your name great, number three, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now you take those two verses Four promises, three promises. And you say, what is the point of it? What is God trying to do with this man, Abram, who came from this idol-worshiping country, this idol-worshiping city, with an idol-worshiping father, with, with people named after the idol worshipers? What is God trying to do? The key is, at the end of verse 2, so that, you will be a blessing. You get that? The end of verse 3. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Do you see what God is doing? He is taking this man and he is saying, 10 generations till Noah, okay, 10 generations, I'm going to wait, and now this man is born. I am going to make him a channel of blessing. I am going to use him to bless everybody else. 
not just his family, not just the people in his town, not just the region he goes to. I am going to make him a channel of blessing for every family of the earth. He is to be a channel of blessing. Genesis 1. God spoke the creation into being by his powerful word, and he gave it form and purpose. God now speaks. He gives a sevenfold promise, and he says, I am going to now create a family, a people that will be a channel of blessing for the entire world. You and I are so short-sighted, me included. We look at the Old Testament, and we say, oh, God chose Israel. It's kind of not fair. He chose that one little country. Why, what about everybody else? God's purpose in choosing was to make them a channel of blessing for the entire world. That's why he did it that way. They were to be a blessing, a channel of blessing. And it didn't work out that way, did it? Kind of got messed up. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now when you read those two verses, the word bless shows up five times. That's the key word, bless. Now if you look back at the first 11 chapters, we find that God blesses five times as well. If you look ahead into the book of Genesis, we, you will see that this blessing is repeated five times, which is kind of interesting. So Abram went. Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. And it was so. Genesis 12, God said, go, Abram. And Abram went. He went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. So, again, anytime Lot comes up, not good. Not good. Why? God said, don't take any of your kindred. Don't take any of your family. Now, the wife is different. But don't take your kindred. First thing Abram does, he goes with his father under his father's guidance. They don't make it all the way. They get stuck in Haran. Finally, his father dies. He goes, he brings Lot with him. Not good. Just, it's not good. And what we see is, as this unfolds, Abram is not perfect. Abraham is not a perfect man. He has faults. He has failures. And later in chapter 15, we'll see how these disobedience and failures, they weigh on Abram. And he can't get past it. And he begins to have doubts about himself. And then in verse 6, 
Abram, oh, uh, let me finish five. Uh, Abram took Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions that they had gathered, the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. So he's come to the border of Canaan. He's gone past the border. He's heading south, and he shows up at this great tree, the oak of Shechem. And he stops there. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, if you're hearing this by the fire, and the sun is down, and you're gathered around the fire, when you hear that part, the Canaanites were in the land, you'd shudder. Oh, the Canaanites. It's scary. These were the people that Noah cursed back in chapter 9. Remember his son Ham went in. He saw his nakedness. And we don't know exactly what happened, but there was probably some kind of a sexual boundary that was crossed. And Noah the next morning curses Ham and his offspring, the Canaanites. These people were cursed. So you're by the fire. You hear it, and you shudder. Oh, the Canaanites, we don't like that. Then the Lord appeared to Abram in verse 7. To your offspring I will give this land. This is the second time that God speaks. What's the first half about? To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. He shows up at this great tree. It was well known. Why? It was a Canaanite shrine. It was a big tall tree and the Canaanites worshipped their gods there. And so I want you to picture this. Abram goes through the border of the land and he keeps going. He gets to this tree and he stops. He knows exactly what it is. God appears to him, repeats the promise of land, and what does Abram do? He builds an altar. What is he up to? What is Abram doing? Why didn't he stop at the border? Why did he go here? What is he up to? Verse 8. Abram keeps moving. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. He goes in between. And there, he built an altar to the Lord. What's he doing? What is Abram doing? What is he up to? And there it says, he called on the name of the Lord. You see, the, the relationship is intensifying now. 
It's now becoming two-way. Before God appeared and spoke to him, now we have Abram calling on the name of the Lord. And he builds an altar. What's he doing? And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now, Negev was a southern wilderness. Negev means dry. It was the desert. In fact, it was the place where Moses brings the people for 40 years. So, we lay all this out. Abraham gets the call. He responds to it by going. He doesn't respond to it exactly obediently because he brings a lot. But he goes, and he goes into Canaan, and he builds altars. That's really, really significant. A little later in chapter 13, uh, in verse 17, God says, Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and there he built an altar. Guess what the oaks of Mamre were? Another Canaanite shrine. So we have Abram building three altars, two in the face of idolatrous Canaanite worship. They're holy places. What's he doing? Why is he doing this? Abram is fulfilling the call that God gave in Genesis 1. The call that God repeated after the flood to Noah. The call to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. If you remember Genesis 1 and 2, God created man to go forth and spread the kingdom of God. You see, God created people, male and female, in the image of God, to be like him and to go out and spread Eden. That was the original intent, to take the kingdom and move it out further and further and further. Move out into the land and be fruitful and multiply land and seed. It's right here again. And what Abraham is doing is he is going into enemy territory. You see, the earth is corrupted. Genesis 1 through 11, it gets worse and it gets worse and it gets worse. Every single boundary is crossed again and again and again. And God says, okay, here's how I'm going to work now. I'm going to pick this man and he is going to go out and he is going to claim enemy territory for the kingdom, for me. That's why he builds an altar there. That's what he's doing. And twice he does it right in the face of the idol itself. What bravery. What gumption this man had to do that. It's not the Canaanite gods, but the Lord of heaven who will be king of the land. And Abram is responding to that call 
to go out as the vice regent, as the representative of God, and spread the kingdom. Does that make you think of what we're called to do today? Maybe a little bit? Remember, remember Babel last week. The people wanted to make a city and a tower to heaven and a name for themselves. They wanted a place. They wanted a purpose. They wanted a name. And God said, no, I'm going to scatter you. I'm going to have my way. God says to Abram, ten generations later, I give you a place, I give you a purpose, I'll make a name for you. Did you see that? Ten generations later from Babel, I'll give you a name, I'll make a name for you. Hebrews 11.10 says he was looking for a city with foundations whose maker and designer and builder is God. You see, there's something inside of us. Today, you and I, we, we want a place to settle down. We, we want a place to dwell. We want a solid place, a place that's God-built, prepared for God for us. We want Eden. We long for Eden. There's something inside of us where we long to be in the cool of the garden in the morning and have God walk with us. This past week, my wife and I went up to Lake Carme. We brought our little trailer up there and we spent two nights. And it was so enjoyable. There's something about sitting around the campfire in the evening. And I've got my wife by my side. And nature is there, and the lake is there, and the bullfrogs are croaking, and the birds are tweeting, and I'm drawn to the fire. I'm drawn to the fire. My eye, I can't take my eyes off it. And I experience it, and I feel it, and I see it. That's Eden. <laughs> There's something in us that longs for that. When we look at fire in the Old Testament, it's all about the presence of God. You know that. We want all of that. It resonates within our souls. Revelation 21. This is our memory verse. This is the future. If you want to understand the Bible, read the first three chapters and the last three chapters. John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and that scary sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, 
and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no more mourning or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. We all within us have echoes of Eden. We long for a city. We want to be with our God. And here it comes. Revelation 21. We see it. And it's a place. I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and it's a place where heaven finally meets earth, where they come together. Are we going to be in heaven as Christians? Are we going to be on the earth as Christians? Yes! The answer is yes. It's where heaven meets earth. It's where God dwells, and we'll see his face, and his name will be written on our foreheads. That's what we're created for. That's our destiny. That's our future. A little further in Revelation 21, it says there'll be no more temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. There's no need of sun or moon. The glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the Lamb. By By its light will the nations... The whole world walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, not anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. We will be with our God, and we will enjoy him forever, forever, where heaven meets earth. What about us today? We have the same calling, my brothers and sisters. You and I live in an idol-filled land. It's in our face, and we're called to go out with the blessing of the Lord upon us to bring his kingdom into an idol-filled land. This is South Burlington. This is Burlington. This is Chittenden County. This is the whole state of Vermont. We are to go and bring the kingdom because God has given us that calling. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We are called to go. We are called to leave our past behind. We have a new life in Christ. Will you go? Will you have within you the gumption to go? Will you speak to your neighbor Will you go to Burlington and walk Church Street and strike up a conversation with somebody? Will you talk to your coworker and say, hey, I went to church on Sunday. What was that like? Oh, this old guy gets up there, you know, but we have a place, we have a destiny, we have a future. Let's bring the kingdom because the days are short. Will you go? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you.
for this man, Abram. Even though he wasn't perfect, Father, we are not perfect. Even though we should have no fear, Father, we have fear. Give us the spirit of courage to go and to bring the kingdom. Help us to do that. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen.